Let's pray together once more. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that we're able to sing in response to you and what you've done for us about your greatness, that we're able to worship you not only alone but together, even as you've called us to gather together for our benefit and for your honor and glory. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. We care most about our lives and it's because... We're individuals, but we're grateful that you're a God who's alive and well and working uh, in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and ultimately drawing people to yourself, where one day uh, there will be such diversity in worshiping you and honoring you as the one true living God, the God of life and resurrection and redemption. Thank you that we're able to be a part of that. Uh, We long for that day uh, when we're able to be gathered with all believers of every age and enjoy perfect fellowship with them. Certainly you're worthy of that kind of worship that we'll experience. Until that day, help us to be faithful and to continue to look to Christ. In his name we pray, amen. This morning we're going to be talking about a command in the New Testament. So it's a command. It's short, only three words. It's simple to understand, and yet it's a command that you don't hear very often. And when we don't remember this command, it's to our danger, it's to our peril, Um, it leads to all kinds of bad things. It's not the most important command in the Bible, but it is a very important command in the Bible. And that command is, do not believe. That's right. Command in the New Testament. So when we're talking about this morning, Christians need to obey this command. Do not believe. Yes, I'm trying to be provocative. 1 John chapter 4 says in verse 1, do not believe. Couldn't get any stronger. If you're a grammar person, it's in the imperative. It's a command. God expects this. God calls for this. It couldn't be stronger. Do not believe. Now, it goes on to say, do not believe every spirit. But at least for shock value and to get your attention, to get you thinking about this, I want you to know and hear maybe for the first time, The Bible commands you to not believe. It's shocking, especially coming from John. John, the apostle of Jesus, who, according to the Gospel of John, and even John's letters, the emphasis so often is on what? Believe. He's the apostle of belief. John is the gospel of belief. It's over and over and over and over and over again, and I don't think it's an accident. Then all all of a sudden... Counterintuitive, attention getter, do not believe. All along it's been believe in Jesus for eternal life. Trust in Jesus for eternal life. Jesus himself said, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. It's, it's the commonality, it's the, 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 the repeated emphasis, believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. And now John the Apostle with the authority of Jesus says, do not believe. So Christians are people who believe. I'm not trying to trick you. Yeah! Christians are people who believe. We're called believers. 
It, it's really the, the very essence of what a Christian is, is someone who's, who's believing, believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus for eternal life. That Jesus lived, died, and rose again in our place. We, believe, we are believers. But Christians are also supposed to be people who don't believe. Because we don't believe everything. And that's what 1 John is about, at least here. How Christians are not to believe everything. They're not to believe everyone. That we're supposed to believe in Jesus. We're supposed to believe those who tell the truth about Jesus. But we're supposed to, we must, for our safety, for our joy, for our security and confidence, not be people who believe everything. And not be people who believe everyone who talks about God. And sometimes we're not very good about this. We're not very, to use a good word, very discerning. In fact, sometimes as Christians we think, maybe it's our culture, maybe it's our sin nature, maybe it's who knows what, that we're not supposed to be discerning. And here we're called to be discerning. And it's so interesting in 1 John. 1 John is a book largely dedicated, most of you know this, a lot of you know this, and if you don't, I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm helping you. It's about assurance. In chapter 5, he wraps up the book telling us he's written these things so that we can be sure that we have eternal life. And if there's one thing that false prophets rob people of, false teachers rob people of, they rob people, they're experts at it. They rob people of assurance. So let's get this straight in our minds. We should be believers. In Jesus. And those who tell the truth about Jesus, we believe their message. But we don't believe everyone who talks about God. We don't believe everyone who talks about Jesus. And again, for most of you, you you get this. I, I understand that. But not all of us do. And no matter what, I am pretty confident that if you know more than two people, you know people that don't know this and, and need some help with this. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, so just so you're reminded that John isn't, you know, going rogue. Jesus says in Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And some would take that to mean, and it may very well be the case, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, they're wearing shepherd's clothing. They're disguised as shepherds. Where do shepherds get their clothing? They get their clothing from sheep. So they're disguised like shepherds. They're disguised like pastors. Trying to lead the people of God. And Jesus says, some of them, you need to be aware of them, are wolves. And they want to devour you. And they want to attack you and hurt you, not help you. Maybe we'll end on this, maybe we won't, I don't always know. But it's so interesting to me that here this morning we're going to be critical of false teachers because John is critical of false teachers. And the verse that comes to people's minds, because it's the number one most popular verse in America, used to be John 3.16, it's not anymore as far as I know. What's the most well-known Bible verse in America, other than God helps those who help themselves? (laughs) Which isn't in the Bible. Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, lest you be judged. Can we all agree that that's a true statement? 
I hope we can agree that it's a true statement because Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged in Matthew chapter 7. Isn't that interesting? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged. And then he goes on to explain what he means. Because the very, the very thing you evaluate others by, you'll be evaluated by. So be careful. In the same chapter, he goes on to say, beware of false prophets. So what Jesus means, we know, according to the context, is not that we should never be discerning. Because he calls for discernment. So we need to remember that. So I'm not trying to be the mean guy today. I know the Bible says don't judge. But I know the Bible means something by what it says. And hopefully you do as well. And we're called to judge. To discern. Okay? I'm off on a totally different tangent. But let, let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. That's our text. 1 John 4, 1 to 6, it's about, in the context of a book about assurance, I want you to be assured of your salvation, confident of your salvation. And part of that assurance is going to come from not listening to everybody who talks about God. Uh, the first verse really is the call to discernment. And verses 2 to 6, because we're going to look at 1 to 6 today, verses 2 to 6 really unpack more of the, the explanation, the how-to, what this looks like uh, in our life. So it's a pretty easy text to understand how it breaks down. So here we go, chapter 4, 1 John, verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. There's our command. Notice it's in the context of the apostle of belief, but also the apostle of love. This is the loving thing to do. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Probably using spirit terminology because he just referred to believers, true believers, as having the spirit. And what do false teachers love to do? They love to ape. They love to ape things. They, 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 they love to steal our vocabulary even though we're reading different dictionaries. Right? Don't believe every spirit. He just teaches them how we have the Spirit of God, but the false teachers are going to say, you know, we've got the Spirit. Yes, we do. We've got the Spirit. How about you? I mean, it's like it goes back and forth. Don't believe every spirit. Just because they're talking about the Spirit doesn't mean they have the Spirit. This is He's being critical. He's being discerning. He's calling you to be discerning and me to be discerning. Christians are to be men and women of faith but not faith in everything and every one. Commanded not to believe everyone who claims to know God. How about verse 1 where it goes on to say, look at it with me if you would, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We know they claim to be from God because they're referred to as prophets, as we're going to see. Prophets claim to speak for God. Don't believe all of them. But test them. Depending on your translation, the word that's translated test there is a word even according to one basic New Testament dictionary to make, it means to make a critical examination of something or someone to determine its genuineness. Be critical. Test to see if it's real. Certainly he's not calling... have a critical spirit and question everyone about everything, right? Don't be that guy. Don't be that, that gal. But here, when somebody says, this is what's true about God, you are under moral imperative as a Christian to test it to see if it's actually true. 
put it to the test. I love it that this is not addressed to pastors. It's addressed to Christians. Now, in Titus, one of the qualifications of a pastor is they have to teach sound doctrine, healthy teaching, but they have to also be able to refute those who contradict it. So I I actually am called to be uh, discerning. But here, you are too. Shepherds are supposed to pastor and care for the flock. Yeah, I know that's one of the things I need to do. But one of the things I do as someone who wants to do that is to say to you, you need to test the spirits. You need to have a critical eye. Don't believe everything you hear. Pretty straightforward. Now for the reasons for that opening command. The reason, how about verse 1 where it ends by saying, for, here's an explanation, here's why he's saying this, for many, how about that, they're in abundance. For many false prophets, a prophet is one who speaks for God, in the name of God, with the authority of God, revelation kind of talk, many false, faker, falsified prophets have gone out into the world. So if there are many who claim to represent God and don't tell the truth about God, then all the more reason for you to take that seriously. It's interesting. They've gone out into the world. Maybe that means, you can take it either way, maybe that means the world is filled with them. There are many of them. and they, 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 The world is filled with them. Or he might mean something a little bit different, like in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they're never really of us. They've gone out into the world. Maybe they, maybe they used to be associated with biblical Christianity. They used to be associated with the, the, the real deal. But many of them have gone out into the world, the, the realm of sin, the realm of unbelief, the realm of not salvation and eternal life. It's kind of an eye-opener. I always think of that old spiritual, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Hmm. It sounds so judgmental. I'm going to smile when I say it. (laughs) Many false prophets. Christians need to be discerning. I don't know who said it first or who made it popular, but I've heard someone say that few people are as gullible as evangelical Christians. They seem to buy anything and everything. And And it just shouldn't be that way. It just shouldn't be that way. Well, I only want to believe the positive, and we don't want to emphasize the negative. I'm with you. I get it. And I, you know what? I've, I've been to that church before where they're all about what they're against. I got my card punched. I got the ring. <laughs> we don't want to be that church. And you don't want to be that Christian. You know, heresyhuntersareus.com. <laughs> we, 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 don't, we don't want to be those people. But if we believe the truth about Jesus, let's just make it real simple, that Jesus came here, became a real human being, incarnation, 
Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death as a substitute to atone for our sins. That's what First John has been teaching. And then he was bodily raised from the dead on behalf of everyone who would ever believe that he's the unique son of God who became a human being. If we just believe those things, guess what? Anyone and everyone who says anything other than that, we label as... We're afraid to say it. Wrong. Beyond, well, I, I, I don't feel right about that. Well, I don't feel right about it, but I'm not going to base it on my feelings. I'm going to base it upon facts. Do not believe every spirit. Because there are many false prophets who've gone out into the world populating the world. It's pretty straightforward. If you're for Jesus, you're against Jesus attacker, underminer, liars. Okay, that's all. Straightforward. But we live in a weird time where it's somehow you can be for things but not against things. And the only thing you can be against are people who are, never mind, it's confusing, I know. This is super simple, but we live in a complicated world. And I'm just trying to remind you of sanity. I hope. There are many of them. Think about how we act with our kids, if we have kids. If you don't have kids, I know you can get the illustration. Just this weekend, one of our kids is going off to a different city to do something for school and have a contest and stay at a hotel and have fun. And I, I reminded my son, I said, now remember, you can't trust everybody. And there's a context there because I've been telling my kids that ever since they could understand words. Be careful. There are some people who want to hurt you and they might talk and act like they're there to help you. That doesn't make me a bad parent, does it? No, I'm just trying to tell them of the reality. The world is filled with all different kinds of people. Don't believe every spirit. We do it in the physical realm and we say that's good parenting. We should do it in the spiritual realm and say, John, the apostle, thank you for your good spiritual parenting to remind us of this. We're just doing diligence. We're trying to do the right thing. Okay, with me so far? Okay, hopefully you are. Now explanation. Got that pretty straightforward. Now kind of the how-to, even though it's not in a formula. But verses 2 to 6 kind of unpack the, the, the reality of this for us. So verse 2 says, By this you know. Oh, there's assurance words, confidence words. By this you know the Spirit of God. Wow, this is going to be good. By this you know the Spirit of God. I mean, this discernment thing is so hard. No, it isn't. Let me make it, let me, let me make it real simple for you. As we like to say in our house, am I going too fast for you? No, this is so simple. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, I'm ready. Edge of my seat. Every spirit that confesses or agrees, that's what that means, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay, now the negative. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
Okay, let's read the lessons now. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Notice how strong that is even when it comes to assurance. This is, not even might be, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You, you, you gotta love it, or you should love the straightforwardness of it. It's grand. It's so simple. By this you'll know. Okay. We can know. Amazing. How are we going to be discerning? Well, we're going to be discerning based upon what we hear men and women say about Jesus. What do they do with Jesus? That's always my question. Now, there might be other important issues, but always it comes back to what do they do with Jesus? That's where it is for John. He's not writing to people working on their PhDs. And he's encouraging them to ask the question, in my words, what do they do with Jesus? And you'll know if they're of the Antichrist or they're of the Spirit of God. This is awesome. Love it, love it, love the simplicity. Now, one thing I am going to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do, is read that and keep it in its its natural habitat, I like to say, which is the whole book of 1 John. I think he's, he's, he's being brief here, and he's, shorthand is not the right word, but he's making these, these compact kind of statements, but he's talked about the details in the book. The book has, hasn't been difficult, but if you're affirming, what does he say, that Jesus has come in the flesh, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God? Well, that, that's loaded. If Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's loaded. Again, you don't, don't need to know every theological nuance that every theologian's ever talked about. But if Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, we know according to 1 John, that means the eternal Son has come. He wasn't just a kid born under odd circumstances and who grew up in Nazareth. No, He's the Son. He's the unique Son. We especially get that from John. He's the eternal Son. Before Abraham was born, I am Son. And then he's incarnate. He really comes here and becomes a real human being, not phantom Jesus, not spirit boy Jesus. He really and truly becomes a human being. And then what? If we confess, we agree that he's come in the flesh, well, we learn that he, according to chapter 2, verse 1, I think it is, uh, he is the righteous. So now we know something about him. He's the perfect upholder of God's law. Oh, now we also learn in chapter 2, it is chapter 2. We also learn he is the propitiation, big word, atonement, satisfaction for our sins. We also learn he's raised from the dead. Now, none of that's super complicated, but I'm just kind of giving you the high points of who Jesus is. If we confess, we agree with the truth about Jesus coming in the flesh. Brief statement regarding the basics. How about this? Person and work. So this is what I do. I would encourage you to do the same thing, not because I do it, but because I think it's in the light of the Spirit of 1 John. Is this person a good teacher? What do they do with Jesus? Person and work. Pretty straightforward. Oh, they're of the Spirit of God. 
right about everything? No, no one is except Jesus. But they're of the Spirit of God and we can know this. Confidence, assurance. Oh, they deny humanity, antichrist. Deny divinity, antichrist. Deny substitutionary atonement, antichrist. Deny righteousness, antichrist. Deny resurrection, antichrist. Pretty straightforward. How many times am I going to say that today? Pretty straightforward. So reasonable. Please do notice it does say every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Pretty strong. Here's some of my objections to this that aren't real, but but they pray. But they have orphanages they sponsor. But they have lots of followers. But they're really interesting when it comes to prophecy. But so-and-so endorses them. But they spoke at such and such a conference. It's kind of hard sometimes, but First John does say, John the Apostle speaking with the authority of Jesus, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The command then is, do not believe every spirit. I I just feel the tension because I live and breathe in the same world that you live in and culture that you live in and breathe the same air, cultural air. But I'm still willing to preach this because it's in the text and I still think it's true with all my heart. It doesn't seem very nice. But it's not nice to hurt people. And false teachers hurt people. You could say to me, that wasn't very nice for you to tell your son there are bad people in the world. It's so judgmental. There are real people who hurt real people. And now we're in the spiritual realm where actually it counts forever. I thought this was interesting by way of a comparison. Thinking about frauds and spiritual frauds, I thought about regular frauds. According to one independent market researcher, since 2000, the number of scams in America has grown dramatically. I'm just quoting from their site. With consumers now losing a hefty $257 billion to $337 billion a year to fraudsters. Scam, 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 scam. Fraud, 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 fraud. All over the place. Who in their right mind is going to say, that's good, that's great. And no one should ever be critical of them. Because that just wouldn't be nice. 
They're stealing people's money. They're taking people's money who are gullible, who don't know better. And sometimes they do know better. And that, that's terrible. It's wrong. It's bad. They prey upon the weak, it seems, most of all. That was taken from a site trying to help people who could be easily misled. Trying to protect them. In the spiritual realm, the stakes are far higher. So let's get off our postmodern high horses and stop judging true, genuine, healthy judgment and get in touch with sanity. Do not believe everything. Not at the religious bookstore. Notice I called it a religious bookstore. Not a Christian bookstore. Because the one that says it's a Christian bookstore more often than not is a religious bookstore. I know, I've been there, I've worked there. Filled with heresy in the name of orthodoxy. You need to be discerning. I'm not anti-book. I love books. But what do they do with the person and work of Jesus? Spirit of God or spirit of Antichrist? Don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit regardless of the fill in the blank. Million dollar smile. I've talked to the fraudulent million dollar smile. If you don't affirm the basics about the person and work of Jesus, I don't care how good your teeth are or how pretty your wife is or if you have a hair salon at your church. Don't be deceived. Don't believe everybody. Yeah, but there are so many people. How could so many people be wrong? The whole world is filled with these people. What do they do with Jesus? Before we get to the next verse, I just want to just appreciate and invite you to appreciate just how lean his confession is. He's not saying that you have to write everybody off because they have different opinions than you do on different things. He's so not saying that. You've got to have it right when it comes to the person and work of Jesus. I, I, I don't want to be thinking I have to write everybody off because I think everybody has to believe everything I believe. It's pretty arrogant. As if I'm glorified. I'm not. Super lean, actually. doesn't mean we can't have heated debates or significant conversations about other things because there are other important things. Don't get me wrong. But it's so interesting that, that John here goes for that lean reality because it's the one that really hits the mark. What do they do with Jesus? It makes sense that you define who a Christian is and who a Christian isn't based upon what they do with Jesus. But I think we've lost our minds. What do they do with Jesus? then there's spiritual unity. Otherwise, there's not spiritual unity. Now, let me ask you this question. How, how does this help with assurance? 
This could probably be a good lunch conversation. But I would encourage you to realize this is actually intended to help with assurance. I don't have to know everything about everything and be right about everything to know that I'm going to heaven. And, and that, that's assuring. It really is assuring. I can, I can have assurance at the beginning of my Christian experience. Which makes sense in light of even what the Bible says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That happens at the beginning. We're believing in Jesus, person and work. And, and that brings assurance. And we can have confidence. And we can have, we can tell other people, here's what a Christian is. Here's what a Christian believes. And by the way, we can have assurance that false teachers are teaching falsely because they're denying the most basic things of Christianity. I, I, I love it that it comes to us that way in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. That's assurance talk. Well, let's keep going in verse 4. Little children, you are from God. That's assuring. That's amazing. Little children, you are from God. Not you will be from God. You might be of God. You are from God. I love it. I love it. I love it. You are from God. Let me say it one more time. You are from God. How can he say that? Because of what he's already said about Jesus. But let's keep going. Little children, you are from God and have, that's assurance talk, have overcome them. Context would be you've overcome the false prophets. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is awesome and amazing and staggering and bold. You are from God? You have overcome? How do we know this? Because there's something greater in you than what is in the world. The false prophets are in the world, by the way. What, what does he mean? Well, he already talked about this in chapter 3. You have the Spirit. If you believe the truth about Jesus... You're a Christian, you have the Spirit. There's nothing greater than you having the Spirit of God. You have it, you have it, you have it. If you're a Christian, you are from God. And that means you've already overcome, even though it might not feel like you've overcome. It might not feel you're, like you're on the right side. It might not feel you're the victor in the conflict that you might have with a false teacher. But he's saying, it's as good as done. How could he do that? He could do that because being a Christian is all about trusting in Christ. And you trust in Christ and you have the Spirit and it can't be taken away from you. And so you are from God. How about this? The weakest Christian, brand new, baby, only knows the basics. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so kind of stuff. The weakest Christian, if they were sitting on, uh, sitting in a room with Kenneth Copeland, net worth of $760 million, a heretic. The Christian who has nothing and knows nothing except the basics about Jesus is the victor. Despite appearances, $760 million for heresy? Maybe a better picture is you're sitting with him in his jet. Intimidated as all get out. I would be. But knowing, greater is he who is in me than he who is of the world and teaches heresy about Jesus. Assurance. 
confidence. Things might not look like it's all good right now, but it actually is if you're trusting in Jesus whose work is finished. And you could put any false teacher in there you'd like. He just seemed to be one with a really big net worth and one I'd be really intimidated by. Hashtag winning. You have overcome. It's awesome. Okay, verse 5. They are, that's strong language again, that's assurance talk. They are, those who deny the realities regarding the person work of Jesus, they are from the world, the realm of sin, the realm of opposition to God. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. That's logical. It's very logical. You don't listen to them, but there are people listening. Thus, the crowd. Right? John is not saying the ones who have the crowd are the ones who are right. No, the ones who tell the truth about Jesus are the ones who are right. As a matter of fact, it's, it's not news flash to John that they have a crowd. They're of the world, the realm of sin and unbelief, and so the world listens to them. By the way, this sounds really familiar. John, who recorded what Jesus said in the gospel according to John, right? Where he said, my sheep hear my voice in John chapter 10, and they follow me. But he also said in John chapter 10, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. John is not coming up with a new play for his playbook here. He's just taking things out of the Jesus playbook. John chapter 10, verses 26 to 28. Okay, verse 6, final verse. We are from God. Confidence talk. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we, here's our assurance word, know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay, I mean, just so we can appreciate that, I mean, let's just take that out of the Bible, and I'm going to have to look at it to get it right, but let's just pretend like you and I are having a personal conversation. What are you going to conclude about me? Let's take the title, I mean, let's just we're, just, we're just talking, and I say to you, whoever knows God listens to me, and whoever's not from God does not listen to me. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. What are you going to conclude about Pat? You're going to go, that dude is a freak. I hope you conclude that. I, I, never, I don't want to be a cult leader. I hope if I talk that way, you'd, you'd write me off so fast and go, that guy is a total megalomaniac. Right? He should be in the book of Daniel eating grass. Looney Tunes. He's confident, but not the good kind of confident. I want you to kind of feel that shock because I want you to see it's about authority. John, the apostle of Jesus, chapter 1, verses 1 and following, we saw Jesus, we heard Jesus, we were with Jesus, and I'm not just a Pat Abendroth preacher dude, or I'm not just somebody who came up with this and he's, he's put a spin on things. John the Apostle, and then he's agreeing with other Christians, and that's how he can say, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. We're Christians and we're not making new stuff up. It's about the person and work of Jesus. 
tied to historical realities. He was here and we saw him. We're not making this stuff up. We're not even, we're not even people who saw the events and we interpreted them ourselves. Because you could make it mean a lot of different things. We actually know what it means because Jesus not only did, he interpreted what he did. And this is why John can say, we know this. It is about authority. He has apostolic, historic, connected to the Jesus who acted and spoke and interpreted authority. And that changes everything. So now I can say this insofar as I've got my finger on the text. And you can say it too. And you can have confidence too. Apostolic eyewitness testimony. In so many ways, we're, I hope we're getting what we, what we want to be and do as a church. We want to proclaim Christ and the good news of salvation in Christ. As Paul says to Timothy, we want to be the pillar of the truth of the gospel. But we also don't want to have our heads in the sand and think that everybody talking about Jesus is going to heaven and is trying to help us So we not only want to be the pillar of the gospel truth, to borrow from Paul's language, we want to be the support, what holds it firmly there, the defense, if you will. So we want to be about what we're for, Jesus and the gospel, but that by necessity means we have to be about what we're against as well. Hopefully the emphasis is on the right syllable. But today we're in chapter 4, so we're talking about about false prophets. Feel the freedom as you go. Feel the freedom as you go to believe in the basic, historic, ABCs, all Christians have always believed truths about Jesus. And enjoy it. And don't let anybody steal your joy by saying, I have a new word from God. I have a different take on things. They're going to rob you of your assurance. And just know, you're called by divine imperative to not believe every spirit. Winning, winning, winning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again from the dead and that he did these things because he gave himself up for us so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have new life, so that we might be adopted into your family, made your children heirs. It's so easy for us to be confused and think that all of this is for the here and now. And yet John even tells us that it won't be until we see Christ at his return that we'll be made like him. And so as we have a hard time sorting things out and we see people who are prosperous and we see people who seem to have everything going for them and they tell lies about Jesus, sometimes it's appealing to us. Help us to learn from 1 John, whether it be chapter 4 or chapter 3 or chapter 2 or chapter 1 or chapter 5, that Jesus is a perfect Savior who's worthy of our trust, who is the victor, and in Him we find ourselves victorious. Help us to live for the right things in the here and now in view of what is to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.